Hey everybody and welcome to the Sunny 16 podcast. This is show number 147. 147 being the highest break you can make in snooker and therefore being one of the most important numbers in the history of sport. We have a super special guest on today who comes from a country where they have mangled a bunch of sports. Um, but uh, <laughs> first up, Graham, how are you doing, buddy? I am doing very well, thank you, ADS. I have had my boys with me all this weekend, which has been fantastic. Um, they've been keeping me on my toes, uh, but they have left me enough time to finish my dark run up, so God bless them for that. Um, but yet, yeah, all things considered, I'm still sane, which is quite amazing after three days of their company. Do, do we have to be nice to you today because they've been kicking your ass at computer games? Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. As I mentioned to you guys just before we started recording, I gave them a new video game. And for five brief, glorious minutes, I was better than them at it. And then I just wasn't anymore. And there is no clearer indication of my advancing years and um, increasing uselessness than that. Uh, put me out to pasture now. Maybe you could still lead in the photography world in your family. Mm, only until they actually get interested in it. At the moment, they don't care at all. But the moment they do, that'll be it done then. So oh, let's hope they never do get interested. Oh I think I'd get out the world's smallest violin for you. <laughs> uh, if only the world's smallest violinist was here, but sadly not this evening. She's not. No, sadly not. Uh, where, where is where is Rach today? Uh, Rach is poorly sick. She was going to be on tonight, but sadly she got walloped by a migraine about an hour ago. Um, so she's out for the count. Yeah, that that sounds tough. That, that, so um, yes, well we will. Uh, Rach will uh, will uh, hope you feel better soon, um, and we will endeavour not to break the show in your absence. <laughs> and our our co-conspirator uh, in not breaking the show in Rachel's absence is our super special guest tonight, uh, Graham. Why don't you announce him? Yeah, we have, uh, as we are thoughtful and charitable people, we wanted to rescue a poor beleaguered show host, uh, show, her, 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 show host from another show, which I think has been treating him very badly. Um, and, you know, sometimes people just need a bit of care and TLC. So we have rescued for this evening Carl Havens from the Classic Lenses podcast, from the evil clutches of Johnny and Simon, who do not deserve him, especially after last week's a debacle where they were terrible um so carl welcome to the show this is a safe place thanks very much perfect timing of having me on this week and i agree 100 percent with what you just said <laughs> <laughs> it is a safe place carl and we will be nice to you and uh, uh if if there's anything you need to get off your chest with regard to your co-host of the classic lenses podcast i can pretty much pretend to edit that out if that's helpful <laughs> Uh, those guys are wonderful. We joke around on the show, but we're good friends. Oh, excellent. Well, good, good, good corporate citizen. Well done. Yeah, well, that's quite a good lead-off, isn't it? Because your good, good friends, uh, Simon and Johnny, actually sent in some questions, um, <laughs> which uh, we, we could go through very quickly at the head of the show here. Um, so uh, first off, um, I sent in, uh, why can't you be asked to, to show up every week for the Classic Lenses podcast? Those <laughs> uh, i think they're lucky to have you when you do because I, I don't even have a good answer to that. that's not a negative answer because <laughs> I, I, I have other things going on in my life you have more important things than hanging around with those low lives um oh i have a lot i have a lot of traveling with my job and i'm just not home i'm i'm on a plane somewhere or i'm in a hotel without a good connection 
Well, that seems like a reasonable reason to me. Um, this this question actually is, I think, fairly pertinent. What's your current favorite favorite lens this week, and will you be selling it next week? Now, this is quite fair because um, people who don't listen to the Classic Lenses podcast will not be familiar with the fact that you do have um, a long history of short love affairs with camera lenses. Um, quite frequently, you will buy them whilst recording a podcast you will have them the following week and be gushing about them and then the week after that you will have sold it um so what is it with you and your relationship with lenses so so first of all <laughs> first of all the three lenses that are sitting on the table closest to me i've had for over, over two years and um and have, and have not sold them and, and don't and don't intend to sell them um and and one of them is is a, an old Canon LTM 51.4, and it's on my Leica 3A, and it's been on that camera for, it it's, lives on that camera. It's the lens I shoot on that camera, and there's a, a knocked on 40 millimeter one f 1.4 on my Voigtlander, and it's lived on there since I bought that camera, and um, and there's a super wide Hilliar in a little jar here, and um, so now I have I have a, I think you know over time. So well, first let's see. I have a short attention span. Let's see. I get bored with things easily. Um, what are my other my other excuses? Um, I like to try out different things. Um, I, I pulled out the film that I have in the refrigerator just to see how many different kinds of film that I have that I've been shooting lately. And so, like, I'm also not one of these people who um, finds a film that works really well, and I know that the pictures are going to come out great. And if I was one of those people, I'd probably shoot XP2 all the time because the tones are nice and the images always come out great. Um, I don't develop my own film. I'm not ever going to develop my own film. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I spirit man, yes, yeah, uh, good to have somebody else who doesn't like that sort of thing on the show. Well, you know, I found a I found a film lab called the Indie Film Lab. It's just a small uh, group of film geeks here in the U.S. and they do a great job with any film I send them. But I try all different kinds of films. So I've I've I, and these these literally, you know, in the next month I'll probably shoot them all. FB4, Delta 3200. I've got um, uh, Agfa um, ASA 50 film. I've got uh, my new favorite film. I really do like is Agfa APX 100. That's a nice film. Cosmo Photo. Someone sent me double, double film. Oh, that was um, so that was with the um, Secret Santa. Um, the person sent me some really cool film that I never had seen before. They sent me 3200, and it, it sat for a long time because I thought, what in the heck am I going to do with 3200 film? And um, so I'm diverging away from the, the question. I'm deflecting. This is how I'm not answering the question. <laughs> that's all right it's cool it's all good it's all good yeah i put i put the 3200 film into my camera and um we went to a concert just a little concert just a recording studio in town and and they're bringing pretty decent bands and um i get in there and i was all ready to go and and um i found this is going to work good because i I could shoot at one 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 125th and it was yeah it was reasonable. It was it was going to be a good shot. This guy stands up front, introduces the band, and says, um, "No photography." <laughs> so, so, so my son was sitting in front of me, and so um, I uh, I thought, well, they're not really talking about film cameras. They're talking about they don't want to see the 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 digital back on on on, on cameras when they're recording this thing on video. So it'll be okay. And so I, I periodically would sneak up behind and I'd say to Andy, let me ask you something, lean back here a little and put the camera on his shoulder and take off a shot. And so I have um, 
about eight really good photos of the ceiling in the recording studio <laughs> <laughs> with with people's heads in a couple of them. But um, now they then went to a party the next night and shot some nice pictures when it was just getting dark out in in a friend's backyard with some people. So that that turned out pretty well. But yeah, um, the film looks like the kinds of film that I have. It looks like I'm doing the same thing that I do with lenses, and I I, I like to try different things. Um, I, I see um, on our Facebook page or on Flickr or somewhere a photo that someone has taken, and I think that's really cool. I, I really like the way the autofocus area is, is blurred on that, or um, that's a really sharp lens, or um, wow, that would be a great lens to take into a crowd and just isolate a person, um, 185 millimeter or something like that, and, and then I'll just I'll buy a lens, and um, if I really like it, then, then I keep it. And if I find that, geez, you know, it's, it's been sitting there for a long time and I really want to buy this other lens, but it's $500, which actually I'm looking at a lens right now and I might buy a lens that's $500. And I'm looking at my lenses thinking, what am I going to sell here so that I can tell my wife that, um, oh, don't worry, I didn't spend $500 on a lens because I traded in other lenses that I already had to get $500. And now she doesn't ever ask me where did that original money come from, so that that's good. But <laughs> so, <laughs> but, but I think it's it. You know? and um, I I don't I don't I, at one time I probably had ninety lenses, and I think I have ninety. I think so. Yeah, I think I I think I had, and and I bet that Simon has ninety, and I bet Johnny has a lot. Of, Johnny has three copies of some lenses. I mean, what do you think about someone with three copies of the same lens, just in case you know they need an extra one of a, of a lens that's never going to break? <laughs> so, um, I don't I don't have that. I don't I don't have multiple copies of lenses. Now I, now I do have. He could say the same thing about me. I have three Pen EES half frame cameras. Why? I think it's the coolest little camera to carry around in my backpack all the time, and um, and I've always got a film camera to to take shots with, and and they're cheap still because people haven't discovered how good they are. So I've got three of them. <laughs> <laughs> that, uh, okay. So, I, don't, I, don't, even to, I to, don't even know where to start with any of this, but that's, <laughs> that, that's okay. That's all right. It's all good. It's all good. So, uh, I mean, so, so that's your reasoning for why uh, you tend to turn around things quite frequently. Um, how long, because we were talking about this a bit before the show, the fact that a bit like myself, whilst you have in the past shot film, because that was what, there was and you know mm -hmm. taking pictures it's only reasonably recently that photography has become a hobby first taking more serious digital pictures then picking up film cameras and of course all the experimentation with adapting um, old lenses onto new cameras roughly how long is it that you've actually been into this as a sort of semi-serious hobby oh with film photography probably two and a half years maybe and, three and what I mean, but with taking photography more seriously as a hobby in general. Oh, five years. Five years. So still fairly young. I mean, do you feel like with this lens churn that you, I mean, and it is a churn, it really is, that it's because you're still looking for something. Um, you said you've got a few lenses that you've had for two whole years already. So I guess congratulations. Oh, I, I, have, a <laughs> I have a large number of lenses that I've, I'm not going to sell and that I've had for, for the whole five years. Yeah. Um, but do you do you think the fact that you're still so actively looking for the new lenses or being drawn to new lenses is because you feel like there's still something missing from your um, arsenal that you've got built up? I don't know. Um, 
a lot of you know so i've gone from a, a really huge number of lenses down to well, fewer than 40 but they're all they're all more expensive high-end lenses and i think the image quality is better and um yeah, so you know, I'm I'm looking at a lens right now that seriously is closer to six hundred dollars, and um, it's a Voigtlander fifteen millimeter lens, and I, and there's a reason that I wanted it. It's a um, just a fantastic lens. It's just sharp, beautiful colors, contrast. It's just a phenomenal lens, and um, it won't work on my on on on. I, I I like to buy some lenses now that I can swap out between my Bessa and a digital camera, um, or sometimes I'll, I'll carry if it's a trip that I don't have a lot of space in my pack, my my small uh, Leica 3A and a smaller street digital camera, and so um, this 15 millimeter lens doesn't work on the camera that I want to swap it out to, and I want to buy a Series 3, the newer version corrects for the issues that I have, and so there's reasons behind me buying certain things now. More than just, oh, that looks cool. I think I'll buy that. Um, someone just mentioned it on the podcast. And um, I don't know. I, I like it's, – it's, it's, hard, it's hard to explain. I like, I, like to, I, like to, I like to buy and try out lenses, and I usually can get them for a good price. And, and um, if I've shot with them for a while, I don't ever sell them for less than I buy them for, so I don't lose money on the deal. So I get to have fun with something for a while, and if it's really good, I keep it. And um, if it's not so good or – I look and I think, geez, it's been a year and I haven't used that lens. Then, um, then I'll then I'll sell it and maybe not buy anything else, or maybe I'll buy something different. And try it. That seems well, entirely I'm... reasonable to me, right? Because <laughs> I, it's it's uh, we we talk a lot in the show about people who have let's let's just say cameras as a hobby, and some people will even admit that they have a hobby around cameras as well as a hobby around photography, and and actually not so not so often do we talk about lenses on the, on this show uh, and about uh, and and yet uh, I, it, it's it's fairly clear uh, and i'm sure m- most people would agree that when you're talking about film photography at least um it, the lens has far more effect on the uh, overall shot than the camera does um at oh, least yeah. if you're using half decent cameras right i mean if yeah. you're using yeah uh the lomography cameras or or other things then yes clearly the camera itself has has an impact um because it's maybe got less functionality as a camera less capability technically um but even then i suppose even with a even with a plastic fantastic lomography camera the lens is the thing that's adding character the photo to the photo isn't it rather than anything else Um, but yeah so you know i'm just looking at the two cameras i have here so this leica was made in 1938 and this Voigtlander's 1993. And if I took a photo with these two cameras with the same lens, I couldn't tell the difference between them unless, well, maybe I could because I shoot the Voigtlander in aperture priority, so the exposure is probably going to be dead on, and I might screw up and uh, underexpose <laughs> on the <laughs> on the Leica because I have a, I honestly, you know, after all this time shooting these film cameras, I've, I'm still not the most proficient person in the world using a light meter and I don't know what it is, but, um, so I, I'm using my Voigtlander a lot more often than the Leica now. And the Leica is sitting here and I see on the top, there's a piece of a JCH street pan stuck into the, um, hot shoe. So there's a film in the camera and I don't know how long it's been in there, probably two years, but yet you're right. I think the lens makes the biggest difference. 
Yeah, and, and it's, it's something I've thought of myself because I I I don't buy many lenses, um, but I always think I should, and then I think and, and then I think, oh yeah, but that that's really expensive, and if I buy it, I'm going to like it, and I'm not going to want to get rid of it. <laughs> no, it's, it's it's funny this thing about about having so many different things and having them cycle through, because um, I mean my main my main hobby is 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 uh, painting, you know um, I, I like to paint with uh, acrylic on a stretched cotton canvas and I paint very abstract three-dimensional kind of style and um, the style of my painting hasn't changed over 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 years I mean the paintings don't all look exactly the same they're, they're different but um, but I haven't like you know gone from watercolor to acrylic to oil to different kinds of things I, you know I'm typically using a, a certain medium and um, but I'm not doing that with I don't, know, I don't know what that means. Um, I d- so I'm going to pick up on something that you said earlier because you're you're a busy guy, right? And you've 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 got a a, a whole busy life, uh, you know, traveling and and business and things like that. I one of the th- one of the things that <clears throat> I find challenging, let's say, with photography is that photography is my downtime, right? It is the time when I am purposely allowed to just tinker with stuff, to to go slowly, to to not complete stuff, and to do things when I want to and without any kind of a pressure. And uh, you know, I I get some some feedback sometimes from very well-meaning people in the, in the photography community saying, oh yeah, you should do, you should print stuff and you should do this and you should do that. And sometimes I just think, I don't want to do those things. <laughs> you know? I I'm I'm doing this for my own benefit. Do you, does does that any of that resonate with you at all? Oh, yeah, it resonates with me a lot because. Um... My job's it's not, it's not a terribly stressful job, but it's just really organized. You know, every half an hour is organized, and I have a secretary who keeps my calendar and reminds me you've got someone coming in five minutes, you know, to your office. And um, if I can just get out of there after lunch and go for a walk for a half an hour and just play with the camera and the light meter and just focus on that, um, I might not even take that many photos. But I forget all about all that other. Sh- and um, so it's almost like going and doing yoga or meditation or something like that. And um, but you know, it, it also you know, having said that, you know that that sounds like well, I don't really care if the pictures turn out well or not. But um, I'm really jazzed when the photos come back from the lab. And um, so there was uh, last month I, I shot, I, I save up and I shoot about six rolls before I send them to the lab, because then it turns out to be about eight dollars a roll to get them processed, and then I scan them myself. And so um, I, I was shooting digital for that period of time and thinking, you know, this is, this is good. You know, I, I should get back to shooting more digital. And then the, th- the film came and I, and I start looking at it just kind of up to the light. I think, oh, this is so freaking cool. I got to scan one of these tonight. And then I'm scanning them thinking, this is cool. I, mean, I have to load another roll of film in my camera and, and, and start shooting film again. <laughs> <laughs> and so I stretched it out over a week, scanning those negatives to have a little bit of fun each evening. And and now I've got film in um in my Voigtlander and it's ready to go again, um, probably tomorrow. Walking around, it's, I don't. I, it's such an intangible thing. Like, why is it exciting to have film arrive at the house and look at it and see what it looks like? Um, I don't. I, don't, I, I, I can't I can't explain wh- wh- why that, that that's definitely me, a part of it for me is the yeah you know, I, I don't I, uh, I don't tend to have a roll of film hanging around in the camera for ages um, I tend to, to try and shoot it 
um, uh, but then they send it off to the lab and you, you, you kind of forget and you, you start even if it's only a very quick turnaround you're like a few working days or something like that you think oh and then it, it is for me it's really exciting to get something back from the lab I don't do my own scanning so when I get stuff back I'm looking immediately at the digital stuff uh, sorry the, yeah. the the scans the, the the digitized scans you know or or as it's increasingly the way these days uh is uh, downloading them and i get a, yeah. yeah i get an email and i see it on my phone when i'm at work i get excited about getting home and downloading the photos that see yeah, yeah. what it is that i've yeah. got uh that that i find really cool um, yeah, it's yeah. It, it's um yeah not not uh an, an exciting part of it um i i have to say um i i'm you, you lost me a little bit when you said you enjoy your own scanning um <laughs> it's like, but if it's if it's part of the process that 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 you find interesting exciting i can totally get with that yeah that kind of emotion associated with it but it's, yeah but it's a, so you, you might have a different kind of scanner or have used a different kind of scanner because i've got one of those little tabletop um, funky looking scanners that has a window on the front and as you feed the film through you can see what it looks like as a positive so it's the first time you see what the image is really going to be like and, and it's a pretty good it's a pretty good image so um, so th I don't know so th that that part can be enjoyable I think if you have that kind of a device so I'm almost looking at it on the computer screen or it's just tiny and I don't, and you know, it's interesting. So I have the scanner, and it's dedicated to one. It's dedicated to 35 millimeter, and so um, scanning's expensive here. I, I don't know what it costs for you to scan film, but if I tell the lab to scan a roll of film, it, it's twenty dollars to scan a roll of film. Uh, and, it, uh, it's it, it's yeah. I tend to have mine scanned as tiffs, uh, so that I've got a little bit more information to play with. Should I ever need it? Um, yeah. Not that I do a lot of post processing on film photography, but you know it's it's just something I prefer to do. Uh, so yeah, and so, so yeah, yeah, I mean it does it does cost money, but yeah, the 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 amount of photography I do, ultimately, it's within my available budget for photography as a hobby. So it it doesn't it doesn't force me to make bad decisions about buying food for my children or anything like that. Yeah, I well, I mean, I could do it too. Um, but what I've found is that with the scanner that I have, uh, the images that are coming out of it are perfectly satisfactory to me. I don't have to pay $20 to someone to do it every time. And so um, I save a little bit of money, have a little bit of fun doing something, and um, the images look fine. I'm not a professional photographer. They don't have to look perfect. It's just, I'm just doing it for fun. Once in a while, I'll get an image. Let's see, I would say once out of every, not 100, maybe 50, I don't know. I'll get an image and I'll think, that's great, that's really good. And um, I'll print it. And um, and I've, I have some Im images that I've printed and um, I've got some hanging in my office and I have some in a local coffee shop here in town uh, that a friend of mine owns and um, I have some in a couple of the hallways in the house. And you know, I, hadn't, I didn't print an image until last year. And that's just wonderful printing an image out and I was listening to your guest a couple of weeks ago talking about being in a lab and watching the picture emerge on a piece of paper and thinking that would be great now you know what if I didn't have a job and, and I could just do that I might I might like that too because um, just seeing the image on a piece of paper and this is so different than seeing it on the computer screen yeah yeah absolutely i mean i i i do print um or, or i i cause let's just say i cause photos to be printed <laughs> just, 
right. I'm, not, I'm not into the whole printing thing myself um uh, uh in part because every every now and again i i i look at the the, the my printer and i think i bet if i made a bit of effort i could i could learn how to use you <laughs> Uh, and then i then go back to just printing emails from my phone on it (laughs) Uh, so at at some point i would like to learn how to print stuff but it's not now not for me not not with the rest of everything life going on around me but yeah just by chance we have a printer that does a really good job and um so i i only i only like to take i only like to shoot film in black and white i also i also don't know why that is but i don't shoot color film and um it's probably easier to get a good print of a black and white image on a, on a printer than, than it might be with colors. Are you, I'm interested, Carl, are you looking, particularly when you're looking for your lenses, but also your, your subject matter and stuff like that, um, when you're shooting film, are you looking for different things than from when you're shooting digital? Because I'm looking at your pictures on Flickr um, and, you know, and it's instantly obvious which ones are the digital and which ones are the film because no matter how hard film tries, um, sorry, digital tries, it always it looks hella digital. Um, yeah. Are you with that in mind, sort of deliberately thinking, okay, I, I want lenses that will do X job on digital, X job on um, film, or or is it all case of no, just backwards and forwards, switching between, you know, working with whatever they've got? Um, how do you tend to approach it? Because it does seem that especially given your passion for um painting in the way that you do an abstract painting your 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 photography um you, know, you like taking nice sharp pictures of things it's not abstract at all for the most part it's very well composed beautiful lots of street photography but you know it's it's kind of all there especially the digital shots um right. in all their glory what what is it that you're looking for you know what is it that's driving <laughs> these many many purchasing choices on both fronts well, I don't. I can't think of any lenses that I have that um, that I would only use as a film lens or only as a digital lens. I, all the lenses that I have right now, I, I could. Well, some of them won't mount on on my film cameras because I've really gravitated towards um, um, using rangefinder cameras, and I, I don't know why that is either. I, I've had a, a series of different um, SLR cameras: um, for Olympus, Pentax. Um, I've had I've had uh, three different Nikon's, and um, I think it was Johnny that turned me on to um, to rangefinder cameras with some Canon rangefinders, and that kind of you know worked its way through a bunch of different ones, and I ended up with this old beautiful old Leica with all sorts of brassing on it. But the lens that's sitting on it is a fantastic lens on um, two of the digital cameras that I have, and the uh, the Nocton Voigtlander Nocton that's on my um, Voigtlander film camera. It's phenomenal on, on the on one of my digital cameras. I won't mention names of any digital cameras on your show. Um, <laughs> that's that's okay. Oh, you know, every, everybody needs to no, know which I, digital I camera to buy so that they can figure yeah, out how to scan no. their negatives. Yeah, yeah. Well, whatever they like, whatever, they, whatever you know, whatever works for them. But you know, um, I, I I picked up like uh, I think I don't know why I picked it up. I think probably because I was moving out of the way. But I picked up my um, Fuji X Pro One uh, like literally yesterday, and um, and I was fussing around with it for a little bit and just like firing away shots in there in the um, in my little escape room. Just like oh, does this still work? The battery's still working in here, and I didn't think 
oh, this is fun and you can focus really close to things i had the um 18 millimeter lens that comes with it i'm like god you can get real close with this and you know maybe i should get out with this and take some pictures and then and i went yeah but i won't care about any of them <laughs> so i'll just put it back in his bag and not bother the end yeah uh, that was no, a little story I'm I'm in the I'm in the middle, you know. Um, I can have fun both ways. And then yeah. so um, this weekend we were out to a street fair and a concert, and and I had a little uh, Fuji X100s, and this it's just this delightful little, you know, it has a, a an optical viewfinder like a rangefinder camera, and it's just a fun camera to just walk around and just snap pictures of people, mm. and um, so you know, and it was great. I think I got some good shots. So I don't I don't know I mean the kinds of things I photograph I think have changed a lot over over the years while I've been doing photography and um, I, I really am interested in taking photos of people and their element right now and and I'm interested in and and I'm not as good at it as as other people are walking up to people and asking them may I take your photograph and um, maybe maybe in a month maybe I'll I'll do that two or three times. And, uh, and and get a, and get a good photo without someone smiling, and um, but um, street photography is really interesting to me, and um, I don't live in a city that's good for either of those two things because it's too small. <laughs> so 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 I, I get very excited when I go to Washington or to um, I'm going down to Miami um, later in uh, later in the month, and I'm really looking forward to that and being able to take those urban scapes and pictures of people and doing odd things on the streets. Uh, I don't think you should worry about having pictures of people smiling, Carl. The only reason that that's a thing is because Anil said, yeah, I don't like pictures of people smiling in my images. I and so, well, oh, maybe maybe that's how we should not have people smile. Uh, people smiling is a nice thing. I, I think there's not enough smiling in the world as it is. Maybe we should have more pictures with people smiling, in, if nothing else. Um, but I'm completely with you getting out and actually asking people to have, take their picture. It's quite a bold move. Are you any good at that age? You're quite a bold fellow. Um, uh, well, thank you for noticing. Um, but no, not really. It's it's not something, it's not something I do. Um, uh, and uh, at this point, is it something that I'm really did, interested in? Not not so much because I, I mean, in in the sense that I I do take photographs on the street. A lot of what I take is more what you might call urban landscape or it's yep. it's it's about patterns. So so I think in some ways um, uh, I, I, I don't really can consider myself in any one way or the other as a, a so-called street photographer. But if anything, what I'm what I'm taking photographs is patterns and textures, but doing it with an urban landscape as the subject matter, if that makes sense. So it, it's. It's the way people flow through a city or, or, or the way somebody is sitting quietly, you know, uh, whilst uh, the throng is going all around them or, or something like that. It's um, it, I, I don't, very rarely do I see an individual in the street and think to myself, I would like to take that person's photograph. Which is odd in some ways, I suppose, because actually I like I love taking photographs of, of people. But for me, they're different things, street photography and portrait that makes any sense at all i agree with you i agree with you and um on the rare occasion that i do uh, walk up to someone and ask for a photo i have this real sneaky way of doing it and that is we have this wonderful little camera club and really what we do is we meet on sunday mornings every every month once a month and we, we drink coffee and then we go for a photo walk and um one of our members nicole is just great at walking up to people and asking 
like, may I take a, can I take your photo? That tattoo is really cool. Or I like your hair. And then when she takes her photo, I take their photo. That's that's good teamwork. That is that's good, so, good that's teamwork. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's an interesting, it's an interesting one. Uh, you know, that, that whole thing. And, and we pro- probably want, uh, I mean, we've, we've probably spoken about it before and it's on the, with in different guests on the, on the podcast, but it's ne- not one that I've ever reconciled I- I- in myself, in myself. So let's, let's get back to, so, to some lens talk for a minute. So, so okay. what, what kind, what kind of lenses are you using for your street photography? Oh, so if I walk around and I do street photography, um, Okay, so um, not not, not usually... the fifteen millimeter, I guess. <laughs> yeah. So well, yeah. Some, well, sometimes if if I go to DC, so DC I think is a perfect place for street photography, because um, there's so much going on there. There's people always protesting down by the White House, um, because we have an idiot for a president. So there's always protest. <laughs> and then um, there's people protesting in a bunch of different squares, and there's buses and taxis and things whizzing around, and there's tall, cool-looking buildings, and sort of like the old. Um, you know, northern um, urban area, not modern like Miami. And so I, I like to shoot architecture too. And so I'll, I'll end up with a lot of wide-angle photos with that 15-millimeter lens that are just broad, cool-looking black-and-white architectural shots. And so, yeah, I, I sometimes put that lens on my old Leica and shoot it, which is a really weird combination. But I, I would usually take my Leica 3A and a, a small, um, I'll take a, a Fuji XE2, and I'll and I'll carry them all, along with me, and I'll um, I'll find I'll end up a lot of times I'll end up taking three lenses and I'll use one lens the whole damn time, and it's yeah a, it's yes a, it's that Canon 35 millimeter LTM um, lens that um, is, is perfect on on, on, a, on the on the Fuji and then on this on this Leica, it's this Canon LTM 50 millimeter 1.8. And and they're just they're just right, and so um, I don't swap the lenses out that much, and I usually take more lenses than I need. Um, now, if I'm going um, somewhere um, where I have a meeting and I know that I'm going to get to drive along the the coastline for an hour or so, and I'm going to go through a really cool forested area that maybe has some waterfalls, or I could take yet one another picture of a waterfall, um, <laughs> then um, I might take a different kit, and I, and I might take my Voigtlander with film in it and I might take my Sony and I might take some Voigtlander lenses that I can interchange between the two or I might just throw some Nikkors um, in the bag and, and shoot those um, digital so it, you know it just depends yeah that, that's that's interesting actually because I'm, I'm with you there's, there's a there's a lens that I often take that ends up being the one that never gets you so I tend to if I'm traveling with a 35 mil kit I'll take a 24 a 50 and an 85 and the one that very, very rarely gets used at all is the 85. Um, because it, it, possibly because it's because I'm traveling and therefore I want a, wild, a wider field of view because I want to capture some of the interesting things, or at least the things that are interesting to me that I'm seeing as I travel. But it's uh, it, there's definitely an argument for for traveling light uh i i think um and and it's it, it, it's something that i've been wrestling with for a little while actually is is having too much having too much kit and it being a bit of a burden but i think i'm starting to reconcile myself it turned out that what i had that i'd done wrong is that i needed another camera so once i bought one of those i've been fine since so 
<laughs> Turns out it wasn't a problem with not having enough kit. It was it, sorry, it was it was a problem with having not enough kit rather than having too much. But it, but I, uh, I have been pushing myself to get out with more. So when I went out the weekend, uh, happened to be uh, out meeting with some family uh, and uh, took uh, a Holger for that. That was nice. Um, see see what comes back out of that when I finish the film. Um, yeah. uh, but also took a, a pocket digital camera as well. But that, you yeah. know, uh, because because it's a Holger, sometimes you see a shot and you think, my Holger just simply can't capture that with the film I've put in it today. <laughs> yeah, I, I know. I mean, we know someone really well, Johnny, who carries um, multiple cameras and just keeps lenses on them. And and um, ask him sometime if you ever get to talk to him again, why does he have so many Canon P cameras? Because <laughs> <laughs> each one has its own dedicated lens. <laughs> he does seem to be hoarding those rather. I love the fact that on the one hand, he's going, everyone should have a Canon P, whilst at the same time hoarding them all to himself. Like, nobody can have a Canon P, Johnny, because one, you're taking all of them and telling everybody else to buy what's left. Uh, you know, I... I had a Canon P. Johnny's been a really good influence. I mean, the, the guy is really knowledgeable about film photography. Um, ten orders, uh, well, not ten orders of magnitude, an order or two of magnitude more than I am. And um, he turned me on to um, Canon uh, rangefinders. And um, the first one was a Canon 7, which I thought was just a dreadful camera because it's about as heavy as two bricks and it's about the size of a brick. And so that lasted for a while and then went into my lens cabinet. And I got a Canon P. I thought it was okay, but uh, sort of a boring camera. And what I really liked was the old Barnack-style Canon 4SB. Um, it's a harder camera to use. I mean, the, you're, you're looking in that small uh, peephole rangefinder. Um, and then um, and Johnny mentioned to me, I'm going to tell him I did this on purpose, that um, in his shop they had an old Leica uh, 3A that... Um, had been cleaned and it was in really good condition and he thought about buying but it was too much and uh i saw it online and um so i bought it and uh, <laughs> <laughs> and it's this, cool camera, Johnny. it's this cool camera that has um, brassing everywhere that you could possibly have brassing on a camera someone's carved their initials into it jh and um so i spent a hundred dollars on it and, um, well, whoever had cleaned it didn't do a good job because then I had to spend $240 having it properly cleaned and having a new shutter curtain put into it. Ooh. But it's beautiful now. And um, it's just neat. I, you know, when you're walking around shooting with it, I'm thinking, God, I wonder where this has been. It was probably in the war. I wonder who J.H. is. Uh, what a neat piece of history this is. So, yeah. <laughs> is it something that you get uh, an emotional attachment to equipment like that then? On this one, yeah, I would never sell this. That's that's, that's another interesting <laughs> thing because I I don't get emotional attachments to stuff uh, in, in that way. Um, no, I, I mean I I get stuff that I would say, okay, yeah, I can't see that I'm going to sell this, but normally there's some sort of at least pretend justification for that. Like you know, either I use it genuinely use it all the time, or you know, I'll never be able to get another one like it. Um, you know, yeah, so so it's not a yeah, okay. No. Not emotional, no, no. But but it's what you just said. I would never get another one like this. It's just a cool camera, and I, I have a few lenses that I, I really would never sell. Um, maybe ones I mean, that I don't even. But they're not. I'm not emotionally attached to them. 
I mean, Simon, one of Simon and Johnny's questions is, uh, and again, this is something I know that has come up on your podcast, is what's your favourite lens that you've bought, sold, bought, sold and bought yet again? Um, I mean, is this just the case where either you've had problems getting hold of a good copy of a lens or where you've bought one, tried it out, gone, ah, that's not really for me, and then seen somebody else's images that they've taken with it and gone, oh, maybe it is for me after all and tried again. Is this a thing that's happened? Oh, John, uh, Simon has convinced me multiple times that this Mirror One um, Soviet lens is good, and it's this piece of. Sh- and I, um, <laughs> I, you know, I've so I've had four or five of them, and thinking, well, you know, I'm just an unlucky guy, and I keep getting crappy versions of it, and so I'm going to get a good one, and um, and I, and I have I I never have had one that I've liked, and I I just don't get on with it. It's 37 millimeters for me. That's just kind of a strange focal length it's just this is funky lens and I, i've never taken a photo of it that i like but simon's taken photos that um that he likes so good for him you know <laughs> yeah good for you Simon. <laughs> okay I, actually, can we go and can we talk about the whole buying and selling then the thing then because uh, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. i'm interested in this right because I, I i'd love to try out new lenses but i i have a perception that actually trying out new lenses is going to be expensive and for me actually to do that on film cameras is going to be slightly hard as well because i shoot in 35 mil i shoot with nikons right and and they have the longest flange distance you can get yeah uh, so there's very little you can put on a Nikon camera. So, yeah, let, well, let, let's start from scratch. So, so, I mean, you said you, you shoot with uh, rangefinders a lot. Now, I, I yeah, they're actually rangefinders are a lot more flexible in the types of lens you can put on them, with, especially with you know, converters of different kinds. Uh-huh. But, yep. yeah, if, if somebody listening to this show who doesn't listen to your show, uh, was thinking to themselves, this sounds a bit interesting. I'd like to do a bit of buying and selling. How do I do that in an affordable way? Um, and, and where should I start? So, you know, I the last um, Nikon I had was an FE. I, re- I really liked it. I had an FA for a while, and I, I didn't like those little LCD displays inside. I wanted a, just a proper match needle um, um, in the camera. And um, so I liked the FE. And um, I, I, I tell you, there's expensive Nikkor lenses, and I have quite a few of them, but a 50 f2 is not an expensive lens, and it, it might be one of the best lenses that they've ever made. And I don't know what the price is on eBay, but I bet you could get one for oh god, under $150, maybe under $100, and okay. that's a phenomenal lens. You know, but you just, you just have to be careful on eBay that you have a, a lens coming from someone who describes all of the things that might be wrong. And so, um, you know, um, if someone says, uh, wonderful lens, you know, fantastic condition. Well, when I read that, I think, okay, well, they're either a new seller or there's something they're wrong. And so then I'll send them an email and I'll ask them a whole bunch of questions. Like, is there any scratch, are there any scratches on the glass? Um, and if the scratch is just on the front element, that's okay. It doesn't matter. You could, you could scratch the front element all over the place and you wouldn't see it in the photographs. If the rear element's scratched, that's another story. Um, although I, I don't, I don't buy lenses with scratches on them because I might decide to sell them later and then <laughs> there'll be a problem selling them because they'll be flawed. Um, so I, I usually buy them in, you know, pristine condition. So scratches on the glass. Um, and then, and then is there haze inside of the lens? Sometimes older lenses, the lubricant will, um, start to disintegrate and vaporize and you'll get haze and it'll get on the elements and that can affect your photo fungus. Um, 
I have some lenses with fungus. I just keep them in the windowsill so it doesn't grow. And if it's not too bad, I don't worry about it. But I wouldn't buy a lens with fungus. Um, is the focus smooth? Can you turn the focus ring and it's smooth all the way through the whole focus ring? Because um, sometimes you'll get a lens and, and it'll be smooth, but then it'll get stiff a little bit and then it's smooth again. Somebody dropped it and the focus ring is bent. And so you want to make sure of that. You know, it's a common sense thing. You know, is there oil on the aperture blades? Lenses are not supposed to have oil on the aperture blades, no matter what someone might say about older lenses. They're not, they weren't designed that way to have oil on the aperture blades. And it could get off and vaporize onto the glass. So I ask a lot of questions. And then, um, and then you know, if, if everything's cool, I, I don't usually get burned on eBay by buying lenses once I've asked questions. And and did you did you learn that but the the hard way or is it, <laughs> is it did you, or, or or are there places that you can go to learn this stuff? I mean, classic lenses podcast, I guess, is somewhere where people can go and learn this stuff. <laughs> I think that um, I probably met Simon was when he had more classic lenses than I did, and I suspect, and I don't remember um, the conversation that he, that he he probably um, he and I probably had this kind of conversation. And he may have told me about these things to look for. Ah, I see. Okay. You know, I mean, so, Simon's such a good guy, you know, and he's never wrong. And so, uh, <laughs> yeah, he's told me that actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, so <laughs> he's very much like Graham in that respect. <laughs> well, you know, there's there's a lot of it. But actually, again, referring back to the email they sent in, one of the things is, do you feel blessed having Simon to put you right every week? So, I mean, sounds like you clearly do feel blessed. Right. Um, I'm not going to answer. I don't want to make him have a big ego, so I won't answer that. Uh, too late, I think the cry went out. Um, so. When you're looking at listings on eBay, um, are there, I know you said you know if you've got any questions, the best thing to do is just get in touch with a seller and ask your questions. I mean, are there any obvious things to look for and look out for with that? Especially a lot of the lenses. I've not bought anything from Japan yet um, because I'm always kind of paranoid about how expensive the import duties and taxes are going to be when it gets here. But I've got friends who have um and the wording for those seems spectacularly confusing so if you're going to be buying something from japan are there things that you should look out for um where are we in terms of excellent versus mint versus top mint because i think i did see or maybe i heard somebody on your show saying um that you had a lens with a mark on it and you got in touch with the buyer and the buyer went well, yes, but it's only excellent. Why would you expect it not to have a mark on it? It's like, okay. Yeah, yeah. I've already lost here. Yeah, well, that was someone else. I don't think that was me. But, um, yeah, so I do buy lenses from Japan. And um, I've gotten burned a couple of times. But there were lenses that were under $100 lenses. And the seller in both cases just said, well, just keep it and I'll refund the money for you. After going back and forth a couple of times. But, um, well, first of all, don't don't look at those descriptions because um, they don't mean anything you know um, Japanese sellers are really good though because if you go beyond that description and forget about whether it's um, so now they have uh, top mint mint plus plus you know excellent five pluses all these all these things and so you, you can't look at those because they're meaningless but if you go into the listing the Japanese sellers will, will give the detailed information on every single thing haze no scratches no cleaning marks no oil on the blades no so you just need to go through and you just need to look and if it's no 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 for all of the things you're cool but if you go if you go and it says um almost mint and then you go down the list and it says a uh, small haze on the rear element 
was like, what? You know, almost mint. And well, then you don't buy that lens because that's a problem. Yeah. You're, you're coming at it from a point of view and you said that you um, you like to buy lenses that are in kind of grade A condition, mint plus, 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 whatever the heck that is, um, because there's a high likelihood you will sell them on again. Do you find that within the community that you're particularly active in, the, the classic lenses and the collectors and the people who are really into this stuff, is that the norm? Um, are most people looking for the best examples of these lenses? Maybe they are. I don't know. And so I, you know, I, I told you that, but I, last week I, I just did something that was exactly the opposite. I, I wanted to get a longer focal length lens for my uh, Voigtlander. And um, I think I thought a 75 millimeter might be an interesting focal length to have. And I, I have 75 millimeter frame lines on this. So I have to look with this camera. It's a, it's an, so I have a Bessa R3A and, and I bought it for one reason. It has a one-to-one viewer so, and I like to shoot with both of my eyes open and so I don't know if you've shot with a one-to-one viewer on a camera before but you can the the, the frame lines project out, out and look and it looks like they're on the on the on the image that you're going to photograph so it's really really immersive and um, so my this camera has 40 90 50 and 75 frame lines and so I thought you know I'll get a I'll get a 75 that would be that would be cool because sometimes I'm out and I'm in a crowd and I'm shooting my 40 and I take a photo, and what I really want, I want to get a particular person in the crowd, but I have to bring the photo back. I have to, when I get the photo back, I'm going to crop it. And I don't like to mess around with film shots very much in terms of developing. I might push the black and the white a little bit, and that's kind of all I like to do, and then maybe a little cropping. So I thought, well, this would be a nice lens to have, and I found one from a Japanese seller, and it was described as excellent, just excellent, no pluses even. And so I contacted the guy to find out, like, what's wrong with the lens? It's, well, it's it, on it, fire. <laughs> no, it, no, I, I have it in my hand. It, it, um, it has, it has a little. I just dropped it on the floor, so now it'll be worse. <laughs> but it has. <laughs> I, Excellent minus, no, 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 minus, but, yeah. minus. It has a little. It has a little. It has scra- a scratch on the outside of the lens hood. Who cares, right? I think a black magic marker. If I worry about that, do it. Um, it has a couple of little cleaning marks on the front element of the lens. Who cares? And um, externally, it doesn't look like a new lens. You can tell that there's um, black paint that has come off all around the focusing um, ring and in other parts of the thing. But it's beautiful. It works. I've shot it. It's fantastic. So I got it for a really good price and. Um, yeah, maybe you know. It's, and well, I bought a a Leica Elmar a couple of weeks ago. It's a 90 millimeter to use on my Leica, and uh, I still haven't figured out how I'm going to do that because I don't have a 90 millimeter uh, viewer. But um, it's um, it's pretty clean, but it has some it has some scuffy stuff on the front of it, and externally it looks kind of dirty and ratty. But um, I bought it to, to to use it, and I didn't pay that much money for it. So um, I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm not set in my ways as much as I thought but you know and, and also you know what I haven't been I haven't been reselling lenses nearly as much as I used to uh, maybe I, you're maybe you're zeroing in on 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 the yeah your 40 or 50 best lenses that will be part of the permanent collection I think so and I think it's going to be that because I think some of them are on their way out Oh, <laughs> well, okay. So can, can, just want to pick up on something you just said there. You said the the Voigtlander viewfinder is one-to-one. Mm-hmm. So there's no magnification. Yeah, so, so that, that's astonishing right. in a 35 so, mil right, camera. So, well, so, so, so Stephen Gandy on, uh, um, 
uh, Stephen Gandy. Yeah, Cam with Camera Quest, who sells um, Voigtlanders in the U.S. Um, he describes these cameras in really nice detail, and I don't know that it's the only um, M-mount rangefinder with a one-to-one -one viewfinder, but it might have been when it was released. And um, there's a Leica that's 0.96 or something like that, Is but that... there's no magnification. So when you're looking through it, you know you're seeing the same level of magnification as you're seeing with your eye. It's just, and it's really pleasant to shoot. See that that's something. So so it uh, it doesn't get talked a lot in terms of this about a lot in terms of specification of cameras, either new or old. But for me, it's a big thing actually. The viewfinder. Um, you know, I mean, it's one of the things I love about shooting with my Bronica is I I use it as a, as an SLR. Um, yeah, with a with a, a prism on it. So I'm looking uh -huh. into it and you can you can almost drown in the viewfinder. It's amazing. Yeah. But my my Nikon FE2s, they have they're kicking up somewhere around 0.85, I think. And they're, they are substantially bigger, the viewfinders, when you look into yep. them than than most other film SLRs that I've had a go with or had a look through. And yep. so actually, to, but, but a one to one. Wow. That, yeah. So the, it's a big it's a so it's a huge viewing window. It's it's just as clear as glass when you look through it. It's like you're looking through. Well, it's like you're looking through air. Like there's nothing there except frame lines. And then, um, you know, when you hit the um, shutter release halfway down, you see the shutter speed as an LED readout on the bottom, and you're ready to go. And it's, it's, it's that's nice camera. All, that's that sounds awesome. I mean, one of the re I remember um, uh, all all the hype around the launch of the original Fuji X100, right? And and uh, I don't know if you two remember, but there was there was a lot of marketing before it was even available, and I happened to wander into a, a local camera shop, localish camera shop that sadly isn't there anymore, um, uh, and and uh, I can't remember what I was after. Something really basic, like a rubberized lens hood, you know, or something like that. Something something just to to protect my kit. Mm -hmm. um and uh and then i saw it sort of behind the counter locked in a glass cabinet <laughs> right the, and i said is that what i think it is can i have a look at it and um uh, to, be, to be fair to them they were good as gold and i actually i actually ended up buying one from them so that yeah but i remember the first time i looked through the viewfinder of the original x100 i was like wow that is yeah. an enormous viewfinder um, and and it's for me it's part of the the experience that I I look for in these things so that that's really interesting I know that there's yeah the the and the Voigtlanders the the R twos threes and fours is that what they used to make they they were made until yeah. only about six or seven years ago I think weren't they Yeah I don't know when the four was discontinued but it wasn't that long ago and the, but they're hard to find now you, um... You just kind of have to watch for them. Yeah. If you, so if you, you can't go online and decide, I'm going to buy an R4M, because there might not be any for sale. You might just, you know, put a watch out for it and wait and wait and wait. Yeah. And uh, and someone will sell one and you'll you'll get it. I remember almost buying one. I can't remember which one it was um, uh, from a shop in London that used to sell them new and thinking, oh, one day, one day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then that never came. <laughs> nah, it's a nice camera. It's a nice camera. I bet you know. I'm I'm sure that if I dropped it, it would be damaged a lot more than if I dropped a Leica. But um, but it's it's a solid camera. It's not like the first one they came out with. It was made out of plastic. The body's metal, and um, 
and I'm sure it won't brass when it starts to wear through. I'm going to see some aluminum <laughs> looking through that's not going to be so great, but it feels really good in my hand. That's another thing. So, you know, for me, um, just how the camera feels in my hands and the viewfinder and that whole experience is important. And I enjoy it more if it feels right. And I think that's why I like these rangefinders more than I, I, I don't know what it was about um, SLRs. Most people shoot SLRs, right? And I just was, it was like I was shooting my, um, my Sony camera with film in it. <laughs> yeah, I, although uh, yeah, this, so so I, I I am an SLR shooter. I I'm not a a, a rangefinder shooter. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that's uh, you know I I have one eye that's still good enough to focus you know with uh, you know yeah just by looking through a viewfinder and actually to you know and actually focusing myself. So as long as that lasts, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, one of those things. It's just you know personal preference or what feels good for you. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Which is great. It's great, and it's great. There's so much out there that you know, people can follow their personal preference. Uh, you know, for for whatever type. Uh, I guess. I guess particularly with thirty five mil, you could. There's there's so many different types of camera out there. You can pretty much do whatever whatever takes your fancy. Uh, but uh, there we go. Right. So, um, well, let's have a look. What what else do we have on our, our list of topics, Graham? And we, we're probably not too long before we need to start winding up because I know we, a couple of us have got uh, have got hard stops today. Um, but we've probably got time for another couple of topics. Yeah. Well, I mean, one thing, just following up on the um, buying and selling thing, um, I wanted Carl's advice on you talked about all the things to ask about and to look for. And you already mentioned about scratching on the front element not being important. But are there other things, Carl, which if you see a lens for sale that might have a problem? Like I, I recently um, bought for my uh, large format camera, which will definitely be here soon. <laughs> if I keep saying that, it'll turn up one day. <laughs> um, uh, I bought a lens on eBay and it was described as, oh, you know, lens in good condition, et cetera, et cetera. But even in the photographs, I was looking at it going, that looks like it's pretty chock full of fungus. Um, wow. And as such, the price was staying fairly low. But I thought, well, it's a large format lens. They are the easiest lenses to get into. So I bought it and it was pretty chock full of fungus, but I was able to open it up, get in and clean out. Now, like I, said, I wouldn't recommend that if it's not a large format lens because that's a different story. But are there any things that you say, oh, this might be a thing that a, a lens purist would avoid, but actually in practical use doesn't matter just crack on and have fun i mean you know like haze and stuff like that i don't really know what things are important to avoid and what things are more cosmetic so yeah i mean i think issues with the front element are, are the least concern As if you have a small amount of fungus especially near the front of the lens you might not notice it but um i don't know i mean i i things that are that are, that are problems with the optics are a big deal, and you know, and, and I'm really annoyed by um, focus rings that are really stiff. And um, there's some cool old Soviet lenses, and um, you know, it's it's a crapshoot as to whether when you get it, it's going to be a nice smooth focus or it's going to be really hard to focus because the lubricant's dried up. And um, and some people buy them and they'll just take them apart and um, relubricate them. And I don't I don't do that. I I've tried to take lenses apart before. I'm really good at taking apart lenses. So when I was a little kid, I could take apart radios and all sorts of things. Now I can't ever put them back together again. But, <laughs> but, um, but, but, I'm an after my own heart. <laughs> but I can take them apart. So, um, 
Yeah, you know, so I I, I did um, one time buy a um, a Jupiter nine. So that's a that's an eighty five millimeter f two. It's a really nice lens, and um, I got it for a good price. And the, the guy did say the focus is a little stiff. And when I got it, it's like, oh my god, I have to be like a gorilla to turn the focus on this lens. So I went on YouTube and I watched this video of a guy showing how easy it was to do it on this lens. I mean, literally, you take a, a rubber glove and you turn the front and the whole block of elements comes out and you're just left with the helical part of the lens. So the, you could put the glass away somewhere in a safe. And I'm thinking, I'm going to do this. I can do this. This is easy. <laughs> and I'm watching him, you know, and he's saying, you know, okay, so you make this marking and now you mark it here. Because, you know, when you're taking it apart, you got to make sure you're able to put it back together the same way. So you make these little scratch marks and things in different places. So he gets it all done, lubricated, and then he starts to put it back together and he says, um, now that is the, this is the Russian guy. Now, now we come to the tricky part. Um, there are four, uh, this is a four pitch thread and we must get it onto the right one or it won't work. So this is like a lens professional, right? And on his YouTube video, it takes him like two minutes to find the right one. I'm thinking, Oh my God, I'll be freaking out. I'll throw the thing against the wall before I get to the right one. <laughs> so, so if anything, so I don't buy things thinking, oh, I could take that apart and fix it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, um, uh, I've, I, I generally will not attempt opening up a lens unless either I have a hundred percent confidence that what I'm doing is very easy or I don't care. And both things have happened quite a bit um, in the past. There's certainly been quite a few lenses that are missing an element or two now that may once have been there. It's like, well, it came out. I can't get it back in again. But, oh, um, you can make and so right. So there's um, this one. So probably more people on our, our Facebook group have a Helios 44 lens than any lens, and it's it's a very cool Soviet lens, mm. and people people like it because. It, it's a lens that it, that has a, a, a problem when it was designed, where um, the the bokeh in the background looks all swirling around the subject if you get the right distance away and you shoot it wide open. And uh, and people like that, especially if, if they're taking a photo of a person standing against the background or flowers or some other thing like that. That lens is really cheap. I mean, you can buy them for forty dollars or fifty dollars, and um, so one of the things, and I do, I've done this myself with a cheap lens like that. If you take the front element out and turn it backwards and put it back in, you get this bizarre psychedelic swirling thing with a sharp thing right in the middle. Or you can take an element completely out. You can do all sorts of things with with lenses if if it only costs forty dollars and you don't mm. care break it. Yeah. And a lot of those old old um, M mount lenses, I think both the M thirty nine and the M forty twos, it is very easy to do it with as well, isn't it? I know that. Um, I think I've got. A, uh, I remember Simon was. Um, I was talking to Simon about this lens because it, it's uh, Helios thirty five or thirty. I can't remember, but he went, "Oh yeah, that's not even the proper Helios." I'm like, "Well, jog on, Simon." But anyway, that's the lens <laughs> that I used for um, my uh, project, and I just flipped one of the rear elements the wrong way around and uh -huh. shot the whole project. And, you know, as you said, you just get well. I mean, it just doesn't focus further away than the meter, now, <laughs> but that's so what I wanted. So is that the project that you did where um, the images all are out of focus all the way through and you said that it was through your eyes without your glasses? Is that what you're talking exactly, about? Exactly, yeah. Those are cool photos. Those are wonderful photos. <laughs> Thank you, Carl. But yeah, I mean, that's the thing. That was a case of, oh, well, as you said, this is a cheap lens and that's easy to get into and twist these things around and just try it. And it, that's when having a... Um, 
an adapter so you can try these lenses on a digital camera and see you get a feel for what the results like is really worthwhile because otherwise you can flip a lens around shoot a roll of film through and go oh that's just that's just complete crap um because you, you don't know what you're going to get but it is a it's a fun thing to do with that um i mean are there any other that's a great example of a lens that's not a bad price are there any other lenses that are definitely still worth looking out for that have not got too expensive yet yeah, there's some. So um, if you have a, a M42 mount camera, um, like a Pentax K, K1000, I think that's M42, isn't it? Yeah. yeah uh, there's no, a, the Pentax K is the Spotmatics and early ones are. Uh, yeah, so, you have, so if you have one of those early ones, well, but you can get an adapter. You can easily mm -hmm. get an adapter for that lens. So there's a, a Pentax um, super multi-coated Takomar 55 1.8, and, and you can buy them for about $50. And it's, it's one of the best Pentax lenses that you'll ever find. And people haven't discovered it yet. They will after this podcast. And after Johnny and I have talked about it a number of times, people probably are going to drive the price up. Although it's funny when we say that because like we're this little tiny part of a giant universe probably and we <laughs> think that we drive prices up and I don't really think that we, that we do. <laughs> have you, I, cause I, I think I heard you mention this one of my favorite lenses and this is probably one of, if not the cheapest lenses to get hold of, um, it against a 50 millimeter unsurprisingly is the um pentacon 1850 i love that lens yeah, um and it was on all the old practicas and stuff like that and it's just such a nice lens and you can find those so cheap these days um is that a lens you'd recommend yeah because you can shoot up up really close you know it's almost like a macro lens you can get so close and you can shoot a nice wide distant shot and 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 you can shoot uh, if you like to take a picture of a flower or a person with spoka <laughs> in the background it does it all i do like that i do like yeah, to do that that's a that's a fantastic lens yeah, no, I don't. Have, I, 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 I don't have one anymore. I, I had one and sold it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and there we come but full circle. Really <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's one of those lenses that I've I've had, and I, and I thought I haven't used that in a long time. Why is that sitting in there? And, uh, and once in a while, I'll do that. I'll just kind of go through my bin of or, or bins of lenses and and uh, and. And it's like, man, there's six or seven there. I, I haven't used them for a long time. And I want to buy this $500 lens. I bet they all add up to about $500. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Off they go. Then you can pretend you've sold them and go and buy the new lens. <laughs> <laughs> listen um i i could continue this conversation on for ages longer um but i'm afraid we are a bit short of time today so we are gonna have to wrap up um uh, carl it's been great to have you on the show have you enjoyed yourself oh it was wonderful of course excellent i'm very glad will, will you will you come back at some point i'll come back anytime you want okay we That's... promise rachel will be here next time because it does feel like we're letting people down when it's just the two of us here doesn't it eh? Uh, well, no, no, I'm good. I'd say it's definitely better. I'd say it's definitely better if it, it when Rach is here. Yes, but uh, but I think we'll, we'll we'll probably we'll 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 muddle on through. Um, but the the uh, yeah. So uh, of course, uh, as you may know, Carl, we we always like to give our guests a chance to to point our listeners at, at their own work on on the internet. So. Uh, uh, where can our listeners go find uh, the output of your adventures in lens and camera experiments? 
Oh, I should tell them the website of our Classic Lenses podcast. Oh, do do indeed, do indeed. <laughs> I'll yeah. advertise our podcast on your podcast. So it's it's just classiclensespodcast.com. And all of the episodes of the podcast are on there, plus additional things that are going to be coming over time, blogs and, and, and other kinds of things. So that, that should grow. Yeah, my Flickr page is just my name, Carl with a K, last name Havens, and um, also on Instagram. I post more frequently on Instagram, and it's Carl Havens, but there's an underscore between the first and the last. Ah. And um, the Classic Lenses podcast is a Facebook group as well, doesn't it, Carl? What's that called at the moment? So we have – so, so that I, – I don't – want to perpetuate this ridiculous <laughs> so very soon the name will be changed back to the proper name and it's called photography with classic lenses and there might be more than one group out there called that right now but there's one with 11,000 something members and the others have 150 or whatever so you can tell which is the real one so that's the one you should join um, sounds like a good idea after a slight faux pas a slight <laughs> April Fool's faux pas just a little just a tad yeah <laughs> okay well while people are, are waiting for the uh the the facebook group to be renamed there are 64 i think uh classic lenses podcasts uh available at classic lenses podcast.com which is uh that, that's a goodly amount uh, is that that is is that goes out once a week and um we're getting and, up there yeah yeah doing doing well i mean that's over a year's worth of work isn't it yeah, and we had fun this last weekend. We had an um, optical engineer, and um, it was quite technical, but um, it was fun asking him questions like, why does the Helios lens make that swirly stuff in the background? <laughs> oh, that sounds fascinating. It is a good one, I think, yeah. Mm -hmm. Ah, cool, cool. All right, well, thanks very much, Carl, uh, and thanks very much, Graham. Um, well, how, how do we get out of this podcast? Uh, you can find us on the internet too. We are the Sunny Sixteen Podcast. In fact, our website is Sunny Sixteen Podcast dot com. There's a trend there. If only we could spot it. Um, and uh, you know, Graham, how, how is our website getting on? Have we got all of the the uh, Cheap Shots Challenge photos from last week up there? They most certainly are, yes. They are all up on the website. And also, Eric did a great job of putting them all on an Instagram post last week. So if you don't, uh, if you use Instagram more frequently, you'll find them all there. But they are all on the website as well. Um, yeah, there's a little bit of updating to do. We're a little bit behind on the episodes um, on the website, but I will, we'll get caught up on that. But it's definitely the best place if you want to go and see all the brilliant pictures from last week's show. Big yeah and I, and I tell you what do you know what having having mentioned all of that i mean none of that is possible without of course the the people in team sunny um should we we should probably give them a shout out shouldn't we but i'm probably going to get the Definitely. wrong people linked to the li linked to the wrong uh social media because you sort all of that out so why don't you give us a rundown of the extended team and say thanks to them yes we are deeply in gratitude and debt to um, Eric Swanger, who is uh, at Conspiracy of Cartographers. We've spoken to him many times, and he's going to be joining us again soon because cool. we're overdue a visit. Haven't spoken um, to him for ages. Yeah, it'll be great to have him back on. He's got uh, a new zine coming all about travel, so I thought this is a good time to talk about travel as we head towards summer. Um, so he looks after Instagram for us and does a great job. And it is, of course, Matthew Joseph at PhotoDudeNZ who helps us out so much with the website. So thank you very much to Matthew for all of his efforts as well. Yes, absolutely. And thank you, Matthew, for being influential, uh, or no, influenceable, I think, because I've influenced him to buy a digital camera this week. But... <laughs> Oh, for shame, Aid. <laughs> no, it's all good. It's all good. Digital cameras are a thing now. Have you, have you not heard? 
Uh, this a passing fad. It will never last. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Let's, let's get yes. Anyway, anyway. So yes, uh, th- yeah. Thank you, Eric, and thank you, Matthew, uh, for your continued support. Always. Um, always amazing um so yes and you can fi- uh, find their work uh, at sunny16podcast.com sunny16podcast on instagram twitter facebook yeah it's kind of <laughs> kind of yeah. uh and uh, some other places too and you can email us too sunny16podcast at gmail.com uh, but you can find all of that from the website sunny16podcast.com um, we will play you out uh, in a moment uh, with music from Rach's band Rocha uh, you can find their album Promises I Should Have Kept at uh, Spotify, iTunes, Amazon I think yeah. Uh, yep. Um, and uh, last but not least, um, if you have enjoyed the show um, and uh, you would like to buy us a cup of coffee, um, that would be much appreciated. Uh, all of your generous uh, givings uh, end up being funneled back into the show so we can make more content for you one way or another. Um, and uh, you can find us uh, there, coffee.com slash sunny 16 podcast um thank you to all of you who have, have donated um really does keep this thing ticking over and uh we makes it much more easier for us to produce more content for you as time goes by with all of that said the show at the end of the show is getting longer and longer isn't it but with all the, with all of that said, <laughs> it's because you haven't got it written down so you meander down the garden path hey it's all right if i have it written down i only get it wrong anyway so <laughs> So with all of that said, as always, it has been an honour and a privilege to talk to you. Uh, We will be back next week. Goodbye. Bye. Gotta say bye, Carl. Okay, bye. Bye. (laughs) Bye. Bye. Bye.